Welcome to another edition of Cybersecurity Dispatch. This is your host, Andy Anderson. In this episode, are patient records really private? We talk with Stephanie Crabb, co-founder at Immersive. Stephanie has spent a career in the healthcare data and security space and shares her perspective on the current state of healthcare data and security. Healthcare is a microcosm of the intersection of government, business, and individuals that you see in the cybersecurity world. How these three play together is a challenge. And in the healthcare space, the stakes are literally life and death. My name is Stephanie Crabb. I'm the co-founder and principal of Immersive. We are a healthcare data lifecycle management company with four practices in data governance, data management, data analytics, and of course, what we're here to talk about today, data protection. Awesome. And walk me through a little bit of uh, kind of how you got into into this business. I mean, cybersecurity is not like something that's on anybody's like sort of when I grow up list. So, Well, I sure hope it is now. It certainly wasn't back in, in the day when I was in college, that's for sure. My healthcare career started really more in the you know, educational services and consulting space in terms of general healthcare consulting. And in the late 90s, I had a bit of an epiphany. I was working for the advisory board at the time. And, you know, the advisory board was really tracking the early advent of the electronic health record and the beginning of digitization in healthcare. And that's when my ears pricked up to say, I better be a bit more mindful of IT. And so uh, from there, I actually went to work for WebMD, and that was my first entree really into the healthcare IT space. And I just, you know, sort of continued to grow my career in the IT sector and have spent about the last 15 years working with companies and for companies that have had a strong data protection footprint. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, you've hit all, all the big, a bunch of the big names in that space, and I'm sure seen a lot. I think... For those people who haven't spent their life working in healthcare, I think as we think about it, it's one of the the areas that's most concerning from a cybersecurity perspective, just because the ability for something going wrong there to affect sort of literally the lives and health of individuals. Walk us through kind of like how maybe the sort of world has changed in terms of understanding the potential threats in the medical space, even over the last couple of years and months. Oof, well, gee, many Christmas. That's a. It's an easy question, right? <laughs> again, I sort of always start with uh, my mantra, which is follow the data. And so let's start, you know, let's start there. You know, when healthcare began to adopt electronic health record, that was really our first, you know, movement right into our digital footprint. Think about what that paper chart was like before. You know, it was literally a binder, you know, on a lazy Susan, you know, in a hospital <laughs> unit or in a folder, you know, in a humongous file system in a doctor's office. And the only data we had about a patient, you know, was in those paper files. And really all you had to worry about at that point was physical security, right? Locked cabinets, locked doors, you know, supervision of that lazy Susan. Fast forward you know, 20, 20 years to today. And, you know, not only have we blown that electronic health record, that paper chart up to include so much more data element, so many more data elements than we ever had, you know, discernible in the paper chart. Now we have, you know, mHealth, telehealth, IoT, you know, digital transformation, all of these things that are 
creating a digital footprint unlike anything that I anybody could have anticipated 20 years ago. So that data footprint, all of those different sources of truth, whether that's a device, a system, an application, a database, all of those sources of truth in and of themselves introduce new risk. And then when you start to think about the interconnectivity, um, the interoperability challenge that we have and the opportunity we have around interoperability in every place that data is going in order to try to move the needle on healthcare quality, cost, patient experience, provider experience, that introduces a whole other layer of risk. So we have the data itself. We have what we're doing with the data, the movement of that data. And those challenges are humongous in and of themselves. But with the way that the government is pushing patients' rights, interoperability, and those things, we're coming into a new pressure point with healthcare data um, where our security controls, our risk management processes are going to be even more challenged still as that push for transparency and information sharing um, as those pressures get even even more significant. So that's a little bit from my mind sort of is what's important in this healthcare data journey specifically. And when you really think about it, There's no other record for a person that is more robust than the healthcare record. The healthcare record has information about not only your personally identifiable information, it contains information about your finances, oftentimes if your your bank accounts, your credit cards, those kinds of things. So, so many things that are already in the financial services data footprint, many of those elements, if we drew a Venn diagram, are also in the health record. To include then all of your other patient data too. So, you know, it is a unique challenge for us in healthcare to protect that data set. I mean, I think that's one of the other sort of facet reasons that I've been so interested in this space is there, it's this microcosm of all of the sort of challenges that are happening in other parts of the sort of information and sort of privacy and security world as well. I mean, you've got those it's so understandable why your health records would be so private to an individual, right? It's just whether that's around almost doesn't need explanation that we don't necessarily want to have those, those things in a public sort of place. And, but you do have that incredible intersection of the individual sort of private businesses, as well as the government involved, right? Because so much of the payments as well as sort of the regulation around around healthcare is is sort of uh, arbitrated by sort of government regulation. Walk us through from your experience sort of how those three are playing, particularly around, around records, around data, um, because I think I'd be interested to sort of see what that, that playing field looks like in terms of how, how people are, how data is controlled, who owns it, kind of who, uh, who can share it, all of those sorts of things. Sure. Well, it's a great um, it's a great topic of conversation. As you know, healthcare privacy and security for the last you know fifteen years or so has largely been driven by the HIPAA and high tech regulation. There's current chatter, um, as you and your listeners have probably been tracking. There may be some forthcoming changes to the HIPAA privacy rule. What's happened with GDPR, the Global Data Protection Regulation? from the EU yep. has has 
inspired, right, the, some, some discussion here or amplified discussion that's been going on in the healthcare space for a long time, that HIPAA is a dated regulation and needs to be updated and refreshed for our current circumstance. So there's certainly activity in the federal regulatory space around healthcare data protection. And I think we might actually see some movement, um, you know, from federal, um, from federal legislation, um, you know, going forward if federal regulator- regulators have their way. What we have seen, though, is a huge uptick in state consumer privacy regulation. So the states have have actually picked up the slack of what's sort of um, been the slow process at the federal level. And now we're seeing you know, some much more aggressive com- consumer privacy laws enacted at the state level. California, Colorado, most recently have introduced very much GDPR-like uh, types of, of state consumer privacy regulations. So where HIPAA has sort of you know, fallen off a bit, the states have sort of picked up. And that presents a unique challenge for healthcare provider organizations because now they, they've always had to pay attention to state regulation, but now we're really seeing state regulation leapfrog over and demand higher performance from organizations uh, than HIPAA ever, ever has. So we're seeing movement in that space as well. And then then we have, you know, the participating entities themselves, providers, payers, service providers, the ecosystem of, of service companies and software companies that, that serve the healthcare industry. And all of those entities have also you know, really stepped up their game. We see a lot more of a, a kind of a common understanding of what is this duty of care that we have at the front line, you know, at the very, very front starting line, you know, of healthcare and of a patient experience. What is that duty of care that we have and how can we coalesce around, you know, a common sense of what that duty of care is? So I think we're seeing good movement in many, on many levels, both the sense of duty of care and personal responsibility for entities that create, share, transmit, retain, and maintain healthcare data. We see the states doing their part, and we're seeing, you know, activity now at the federal level, both, you know, from HIPAA regulation, but, you know, in the medical device space, what we've seen from the FDA, what we've seen from NIST in in the introduction of the cybersecurity framework and continuing to provide guidance, tools, and resources to the industry to elevate practice. Let's just take one step back in terms of like comparing. G- I mean, we've had lots of conversations on this podcast. If people have been listening about GDPR and and things that are happening, you know, the, the impact there. And some of our predictions were that essentially GDPR would almost become a, like a global standard because it's it's very difficult for a company to essentially comply with a regulation. Like borders are much less are basically meaningless in, in the cyber world. So you just don't know where your where your customers are from and who you're interacting with. So it's in some ways easier easier to comply with like the strictest of regulations. Absolutely. And so and then HIPAA has been the other sort of like guiding principle, I think, in my conversations that prior to GDPR, that was sort of the strictest regulation around, I mean, maybe uh, some of the some of the guidelines around credit card data from at least a technical perspective, sort of the strictest regulations, but certainly not the sort of rights of an individual were as sort of involved in that in that regulation. So walk us through sort of the differences or the largest ones between HIPAA and GDPR. Is that really like right to be forgotten and right to uh, 
portability or are there other ones that, that you wanted to, that you, you see? Sure. Well, you've certainly touched on two of the most significant that we have a di- we would have a very difficult time operationalizing in healthcare today. The right to be forgotten in and of itself presents some very interesting patient safety challenges, operational challenges for healthcare. In other words, while I think we understand fundamentally the fact that our our processes and our systems should be able to perform to that level. One of the challenges that we have is that we've tended to hoard data in healthcare or duplicate data in healthcare, over-retain patient data in healthcare as a compensatory control for patient safety. In other words, medication lists, for example, are always a hot button topic. And the correct medications list for a patient across that patient's provider ecosystem is often riddled with errors. There is no single source of truth. There's no way to sort of operationalize a change in a physician office and have that um, change then translated to every other place where that patient has a record. So this idea of, you know, the right to be forgotten, to be deleted, if you will, out of a system sort of rubs against what our philosophies and practices have been to sort of, again, keep hold of data for particularly, you know, at the risk of creating some sort of patient safety risk or event. But that being said, the drivers for the right to be forgotten from the privacy point of view and from privacy advocates' point of view, um, makes a lot of sense and, and our system should be able to perform to that. The portability, again, I think the example that I just gave also expresses and illustrates some of the challenges on the portability side. We should not have the issues and challenges that we do in porting information from one system to another. And you know, it shouldn't be a patient's responsibility solely to make that happen. We need to have electronic systems and interoperability that make it easier for data to flow from one source to another in order to provide the proper care for patients and um, and mindful of patient safety. I think the biggest thing and one of the more interesting pieces of GDPR really is about this question of data ownership. People will say, right, that patients have always owned their data. But, you know, in my experience over the last 15 years, health systems, payers also feel an incredible sense of right and ownership over patient data and the data that's in their possession and under their stewardship. This is something that Seema Verma, the CMS administrator, has spoken extensively about since she has assumed her tenure and has been increasingly vocal about this topic of patients' rights to their data and transparency of all data healthcare data to patients. And I think that's another movement that we're seeing that is inspired in some respects um, with with GDPR as well. So those those three things to me are the top of the heap of where GDPR has set a new bar um, for us in the States as it relates to data generally. And with respect to healthcare data, each one of those drivers is not something that we are 
built for, that our systems are necessarily engineered for and are easy to achieve in the way that, you know, healthcare, the healthcare data ecosystem, you know, has come about. Yeah. I mean, I think the the idea of where the data, who owns it and how movable it, it is, I think cuts right to the sort of heart of the sort of different motivations of the various parties who are involved in the healthcare space. I mean, because while the companies would would love to say that their first priority is 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 patient sort of well-being and and safety, I think often it's at least equally aligned with a profit motive, right? And the value of data. I mean, that really is the most valuable things that we're creating in our economy these days, right? Like the the largest companies are all you know, it's not it's not stuff that they're building. It's it's piles of data that they're building, and I think the you can see. I mean, having talked with lots of, of healthcare providers and and having switched switched coasts and whatnot, you see it. I mean, literally, it's still like, oh yeah, just have them fax my your records across the country. I'm like, what is this like 1990? Like, who uses faxes anymore? But as I understand it, like the different healthcare systems are sort of walled gardens based on the you know, on whatever sort of provider they chose somewhere in their history. And the providers have a very uh, strong financial interest to prevent them from being interoperable with different systems. Is that correct? Or am I, as a lay person, am I confusing things? No, you're spot on. The initial healthcare digital economy has absolutely been built on and around proprietary systems. And it's a but in the way that vendors, not only the EHR vendors, but any, you know, any vendor that has a tool or technology in this space, their economics have been absolutely built around the proprietary nature, you know, of those systems. Even though we've always had, you know, an awareness of and a cognizance to interoperability, nobody was really held to the you know, sort of the higher standard or the higher purpose of engineering interoper- interoperability, you know, into let's call them the first generation of any of these systems or applications. There were very purposeful economics around that, I'm sure. It's interesting now, though, in just, you know, two decades, that, that economic model is changing completely. And it's no longer sort of this proprietary system economy. You know, it's a very new data economy and, you know, monetization of data, whether that's internal or external is the competitive advantage pretty much in every industry today. And healthcare is only beginning, you know, to appreciate what that means. And so, you know, just this week, right, we saw the announcement from Amazon, Microsoft and others that their commitments to interoperability, what that means for those players, those folks that have so much of our data in the cloud and where we have so readily, you know, sort of signed our rights away um, to data in the cloud, what kind of impact, you know, is that going to have? I'm not sure we can even begin to understand or appreciate what that means, but I they will disrupt. They will disrupt what ha- what has long been sort of the proprietary ec- economic model around healthcare data. Simply because now 
they have not only a economic driver to do so, but they um, have a strategic and political motivation to do so as well. Those transformations, those disruptions, I would argue, are probably a really good thing for our industry. And there's a tremendous social responsibility and going back to that duty of care again, in the way that they participate, in the way that they motivate change. And maybe we will see those traditional players um, take notice of this activity and, um, and it will accelerate, you know, the work that organizations like Commonwealth that, you know, have brought a lot of the key EHR vendors together yeah, to, to achieve greater interoperability and transparency. It, maybe we'll see the progress accelerated even more because of the, the entrance of these new disruptors into our space. But the idea too is that consumers have to continue to push for that as well. And the consumer voice is one that has been largely, you know, largely silent. We're largely very trusting of our healthcare providers. Most patients think that when I see a provider anywhere, whether that's in the, in an emergency room or in my physician's office, that all of that information sharing is happening already. And, you know, that just doesn't, it just doesn't happen like that. And so, Increasing consumer awareness as well is going to, you know, it also is going to make a difference. It's a bit of a squeeze play, right? We need to, th- we need things to happen from sort of the consumer grassroots level. And we need those things happening at, you know, at the top of the industry by the, by our largest, most influential players as well. And to the point of faxing, you know, again, you probably saw Seema Verma from CMS talk very, very forcefully about this. You know, she is, uh, has introduced this campaign of, you know, no faxing by 2020. And so there's that movement, again, to take out sort of this inefficiency and with that a bit of a bit of um, of patient privacy risk out of the equation by eliminating the faxing process altogether. Yeah, I mean, I I think it's interesting, particularly in the the healthcare space is so politicized. But will you would you actually see regulation that reduces the cost of of patient care? Right. Like so often the. The, I think the healthcare industry sort of stands up and says, oh, more regulation is just going to increase the cost of patient care. But in fact, is there a potential for regulation to really reduce it? And the sort of inherent fiefdoms that have been built by different providers to kind of prevent, really to prevent competition and also transparency. I mean, I think I have an MBA, you know, numbers aren't the scariest thing for me, but every time I get a healthcare bill, I'm like, I don't understand this. It's incredible, kind of the obscurity and lack of sort of clarity of what's getting charged and who's paying and what's a fair price. And I'm sure, and that's just on the financial side, right? Like the whole rest of where things are is stunning. Just specifically to to point to kind of like the Colorado or the California law, are those are those having a big impact on kind of how healthcare systems and vendors are operating already, or we're kind of health the healthcare space carved out of those regulations. Yeah, I think really the state, you know, state law in you know in my experience over the last decade, you know, or so, you know, really evolved from breach activity across industries that was happening you know, sort of within within that state and the way that legislators, you know, in those states, activist legislators, and the way that the privacy movement was work in those states was 
compelling action. And I think that's been a really, really good thing. Again, for me, HIPAA has been a, a very low floor, let's call it the sub-basement, you know, of, of privacy and security protection regulation for, you know, far too long. And, you know, states sort of recognizing not just healthcare data, but recognizing generally that they had a role in consumer privacy protection, um, you know, was sort of the first wave or the first generation of that legislation. You know, in states like New York, California, we've seen, you know, regs on top of regs getting, you know, more, more specific and more with higher expectations of performance. That, of course, um, was driven by the breach activity and the rise of cyber, you know, Again, in, in 19, in, you know, in the late 1990s and the early 2000s, we were really just talking about information security risk, risk that was largely, you know, risk that was introduced sort of within our own friendly confines, in our own environments, and to a very, very small extent, some of our key information sharing partners, cyber and healthcare really wasn't even that much of a reality, you know, in the early 2000s. With the rise of cyber, then, you know, also motivated that next generation of legislation at the state level. It's what, you know, it's what compelled the work at NIST on the cybersecurity framework. But, you know, the feds have have been a little slower, you know, to kind of take action and respond and states have, have worked a little bit more quickly. So I think that, you know, they, the states keep eyes on each other. And as one sort of moves the, moves the pieces on the chessboard a little bit more aggressively, others follow. And, and that's, I think, what we're seeing in this, in this most recent wave of new legislation, you know, from states like New York, California, and Colorado. Yeah. I mean, I think we all can appreciate sort of that the federal, that Congress is pretty deadlocked on a lot of issues and healthcare has been sort of a, has been a weapon, a bat that, that each side has swung at each other in that debate. And so the, the ability to kind of really move things forward meaningfully is, is challenging. And you see some of the sort of leading places. I mean, California in particular is an economy that's so large that almost no healthcare provider can avoid it, uh, at least cer- certainly on the device side and probably on the system side, you know, Obviously, like insurance, those are more kind of like local markets. And so maybe you have different providers leaving because of it. What is your sort of sense of, you know, creating sort of legislation that doesn't necessarily play well with each other? I mean, I think, hey, if, Cal- if California does something and Washington does another and Oregon does a third, right, you start to have this just huge regulatory sort of compliance cost inherent in providing care. What's your sense in the of the regulation that's being written now and on that? Sure. Well, you know, I think everyone would agree across the entire healthcare spectrum that healthcare desperately needs standards. In the same way that there are standards of care for clinical conditions, we need standards of care around data, data handling, privacy and security in healthcare. The, the Healthcare Cybersecurity Task Force went to great pains to speak to this in their report. I think we've seen some of that taken up in the conversations, you know, around the NIST cybersecurity framework and some of the industry-specific toolkits that are being created around the NIST cybersecurity framework, sort of that, that you know, elusive, it's been an elusive chase, you know, toward those standards. And, you know, and, and nobody wants to be told the how they have to do it, 
right? And we don't want to take away the latitude for organizations to creatively and in a financially appropriate manner, introduce and maintain the controls environment that is risk appropriate to them. But, you know, similar to your comment about GDPR, Andy, and sort of how it has sort of, you know, it's set the bar in a place where organizations now have to perform to the highest public standard, not the lowest, you know, public reg or framework or standard. I think we're seeing that introduced in state law as well. So your example of California and Washington, where you have health systems and providers that overlap, you know, as healthcare becomes more regionalized in, in many ways, we, you know, we want to maintain locality, but at the same time, um, you know, competition, consolidation, all of those things are, are, we're creating networks of networks that absolutely cross state boundaries. What we see, and certainly what we do with our, with the organizations that we work with is, you know, we look toward what the highest requirements are, and we then help them move the needle toward program structure, controls structure, and risk management to whatever that highest standard is. And I think that's the only logical as well as um, responsible thing to do as we work with as any of the work gets done across healthcare is, is, you know, resetting that performance target and looking at what's happening in different parts of the country and also reading the tea leaves as, uh, as what's happening with federal legislation and trying to anticipate where it's going to go so that people are building toward that incrementally and don't have the, you know, the expense and operational burden of having to, you know, flip a, a huge switch, you know, in a in an unrealistic period of time. Our resources are just far too constrained in healthcare to accomplish that in any meaningful way. So, you know, anticipating where regulation is going, more importantly, where practice demands are. And that, that really comes from within. If we again take a data-centric view you know, what organizations are trying to do with their own data and with enriched data sources. If you just start there um, and you really stay true to that data centric approach, again, you almost satisfy what's required in regulation and, and in a compliance posture. If you handle that data that you care about, you know, with sort of the care and attention it deserves because it is your competitive advantage at the end of the day. I mean, my hope is that healthcare becomes sort of a, you know, an, an example for how we can do it well, right? It, that it that because it's got all of the sort of complexity and perhaps even more complexity than other parts of the economy. That if we, you know, that we people like yourself, people at the federal level, regulators, and and other industry folks sort of do think long and hard uh, and have the debates about how do we do this in a way that's both practical as well as as thoughtful about all of the different uh, overlapping interests from individuals from business and and you know I'm not a I'm not a socialist I'm not a communist like I, I, I very much believe in the profit motive but doing it in a way that is is thoughtful and respectful and you know equally equally places patient safety and rights on par, at least with uh, sort of the rights of the companies that are operating there. One thing, you know, I, I was reading through the framework, and I think this may unfortunately have to be our last question. The framework is terrific, but it's very theoretical. And it's very, you know, it sort of leaves a lot of leeway for sort of self 
monitoring, for self-grading, for self-assessment, particularly in the healthcare space, how are people making the sort of walk from the framework to something that's much more sort of tangible and sort of can point to specific controls and specific actions to uh, that they're both monitoring against as well as sort of trying to comply with? Because you, I mean, in, in reading it, you literally can't comply with the framework, right? Like it's not, it's not a standard that you can do that. So walk me through kind of how people make that walk to really practical, operationalized sort of security postures. Sure. I want to start by saying sort of reacting to one thing that you said in your comment, and and that is every industry would like to think that it's different and unique, right? What I will say, though, about healthcare, when you break it down and you look at the medical record, I would challenge any industry, you know, that would say that their in their individual quote consumer record or data footprint is as significant as that that we maintain in healthcare this proves itself out in the way that the black market rewards folks financially that have medical records to sell right it is you know, it is exponentially the healthcare. Yeah, two hundred bucks versus ten, I think, is yeah. what I saw. So therein lies, you know, part of our part of the economic justification, right, for what we're doing. To your point on the NIST cybersecurity framework, the what the NIST cybersecurity framework has done for healthcare is, you know, give a further give a, a further packaging or a better packaging, if you will, of not only, you know, critical domains and categories of performance, but really went to great pains in its information references section, you know, to more explicitly enumerate the controls from different standards and frameworks like ISO, like HIPAA, et cetera, you know, to hone in for any organization across any industry, you know, where the context for that performance or that control, you know, could be derived. And I think that was an important piece. What that means is all the practitioners have to be expert in all of those things, unless you're working with another company that provides you with that expertise and that interpretation. I think that was very, that's been a very valuable contribution from the framework, you know, essentially establishing these categories in a more conversational way, to be perfectly honest. I mean, if you read it, that's very, it's very conversational. Yeah, it's, you don't need to be an expert to read it. It's great. And that was by design, right? That was by design to link sort of, you know, the technical practitioners of security, you know, to the strategic overseers, you know, for cybersecurity. What has happened, thankfully, and is that there are lots of organizations that have, you know, been working to translate the NIST cybersecurity framework, you know, into something tangible for healthcare organizations to use. So there's a whole host of, of, um, you know, governance, risk and compliance software, you know, platform providers, consultants that have, um, you know, done a lot of work to bring uh, some practicality and accessibility and interpretation uh, to the, of the NIST cybersecurity framework to the industry. And I'll tell you, I don't meet with an organization now, don't encounter an organization now that is not NIST cybersecurity framework aware in terms of the things that they're trying to do 
um, with their security programs. I think that's really powerful. I wasn't sure that we would see, um, you know, such rapid adoption. And I've been pleasantly surprised that we have. And I think it's because organizations, you know, knew that they had sort of run their course with HIPAA, even though we still have lots of HIPAA, HIPAA compliance issues out there. They were looking, you know, for something new. And because we now have a much larger ecosystem with trading partners and third party relationships with folks from so many other industries, then this CSF provides a different kind of playing field for us in terms of collaborating around cybersecurity performance and risk management. Yeah. Well, Stephanie, I hate to do this, but uh, unfortunately, I've got to run. And so this has been great. Uh, You know, just so I mean, I feel like we could do this, run this again and talk for another 40 minutes and learn so much more. And maybe we'll set that up for a couple months from now. Thank you so much for coming on. I think the listeners will enjoy this as much as I did. It was a pleasure, Andy. Thanks so much for inviting me. And I'd love to chat anytime. 